Welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. Well, we did it. We made it to election week in the strangest presidential campaign season of our lives. I don't know about you, but this election has been another source of stress on top of all the pandemic stuff we've been dealing with for seven or eight months. I could really use a step back and a deep breath, which is why I really love today's episode. My guest, Bill McCormick, is a Jesuit in training. He's taking classes, preparing for life as a Jesuit priest. He's also a political scientist and a professor. He's an incredibly joyful and hopeful person, someone whose faith inspires me to keep following Christ even on difficult days. Bill is so firmly rooted in the gospel. He does a great job of defying partisan bickering and is a great example of someone who lets his faith shape his politics instead of the other way around. We talked about Pope Francis's political vision and how it might guide us. And I left our chat feeling more hopeful about the world than I have in a long time. I can't recommend this start to your election week highly enough, no matter what's to come. Thanks for joining us. Well, Bill McCormick, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk to me. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. No, it's great. Great to have you on. I know you mostly from Twitter. We have fun Catholic Jesuit Twitter interactions. We worked on a couple things together, uh, but excited to have you on as someone who brings together worlds of faith and politics, those topics of conversation we're not supposed to talk about uh, in polite company, at least but we will talk about them today. Uh, so yeah, tell me a little bit about your background, how, uh, you know, how you came to the Jesuits, all of your vocation story and, uh, yeah, what your, what your academic interests are. Thanks. No, I'm delighted to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm from deep South Texas, uh, from the Rio Grande Valley, and it's a wonderful little corner of the world that in many ways time forgot. Um, and it's a deeply Hispanic Catholic culture there. Um, and I'm really grateful to have grown up in a place where Catholicism is just so incarnate. It just shapes, forms everything that everyone does, and in a very natural, very organic, beautiful way. So um, very, very privileged to to be from there. I haven't spent much time there since, uh, <laughs> but I try to get back when I can. Uh, but certainly my vocation story started uh, with the faith of uh, the the Catholicism of the people there uh, that I just couldn't not think about as a as a kid how I wanted to respond to God um, seeing everywhere all the people around me responding to Him so generously I um, mean I felt a great pull uh, to the diocesan priesthood because of my love for South Texas um, but it's actually a pretty big part of my story that a number of diocesan priests. Uh, along the way throughout my life, encouraged me to look at the Society of Jesus. They themselves were very happy as diocesan priests. They were not, <laughs> they did not did not, not at all regret that they were not Jesuits, but they, you know, they took a look at me and said, oh, I think you belong in the Jesuits. <laughs> and, you know, they meant that a bit tongue in cheek. <laughs> uh, they wanted me to be somebody else's problem, I think. And, <laughs> No, no, but, you know, they, they were very good, uh, holy men of God. And so I took that pretty seriously, that these were men um, who knew what they, they were talking about when they said that. Um, and so I entered, uh, or rather I, I joined JVC after college. 
and the Jesuit Volunteer Corps in the Northwest. And I entered for the entirely wrong reasons. I thought it was going to be a boot camp, sort of, so you want to be a Jesuit. Uh, and it turned out to be nothing like that, of course, uh, because JVC is so much bigger and broader than that. Uh, but it was a really blessed, beautiful experience. I was in Washington State on a Native American reservation. And it was a very different side of the Ignatian spirituality and a very different side of the Society of Jesus. Because uh, I'd known the society mostly intellectually, which is wonderful. I love our traditions of the of the mind, of higher education. But I saw that on that reservation, people lived uh, Ignatian spirituality and it helped them through difficult times and it helped them discern how God was calling them uh, to follow him. And there was a, a Jesuit priest of the then Oregon province on the reservation, Jake Morton, who he was like no other Jesuit priest I'd ever met. He would wake up at three in the morning to help people fix hot water heaters. You know, he would help um, people find jobs. He helped settle all sorts of family disputes and reconcile people. It was amazing. He wore so many hats and he wore them so charitably with all of his uh, learning, with all of his love and faith. They just came together uh, in a really Christ-like way. I was very moved. I was challenged. I thought, well, I'm never going to be like him. Uh, <laughs> but I, I want to be like him. Um, and um, but my my path was still took a little bit longer because I decided to go to grad school, um, mostly to let the the notion of joining the society settle. And I think it, I saw I went to the University of Texas at Austin for a doctorate in political science, and I learned a little bit about political science. I'm very grateful for that. I I love the study of politics, uh, as unscientific as it in fact is. Uh, but, you know, what I really loved about grad school the most uh, was how often I was called to account for my faith uh, in the classroom, not in a skeptical or hostile way. But people would say, well, you're Catholic. Uh, what's the Catholic take on this or that? Well, <laughs> I'm actually Bill, uh, if you want Bill's take on this. Uh, but I, it was a beautiful experience. I was really... Uh, People assumed that I had a good answer to those questions, and that was a little scary, uh, but also exciting. Um, because I think like most people, you know, I sort of had my intellectual interest over here, and my faith was this wonderful uh, piece of my life over there. And I was forced to really bring them together and integrate them in a way that I myself would never have thought to um, until people asked me, uh, to give an account of it. And so uh, I took five years to get my doctorate. So afterwards, when I entered the society, the vocation director of the, of the then New Orleans province said, you know, those five years, I really did not know if you were going to enter the society. And I could only respond, well, I knew I was going to. The, the, the people in my classes uh, reminded me every day <laughs> that I was headed toward the Society of Jesus. Uh, and of course, most of them didn't know that I was uh, thinking about the society. But then when I told people at the end of the time, it, it was an incredible reaction. People were so um, inspired and amazed. And of course, I had to remind them, this is not me. This is God's gift. Um, but it just made so much sense to them that, well, you're this 
serious Catholic who wants to be a priest, it makes so much sense that you would join the society. And they don't know much about the priesthood or the society, but they knew, they saw the kind of integrity there that God was giving me as a gift. So I can't, uh, I can't thank God enough uh, for that experience. So you talked about like in that time at grad school, kind of bringing together different elements of your life that might have felt separate, your academic pursuits and your, you know, your, your calling, your sense of faith and bringing those together. And you really kind of have lived that the last handful of years, at least as a Jesuit serving as a political science professor at St. Louis University, uh, doing all of that together. So I'm just interested in your that experience, kind of being in the classroom as a Jesuit talking about something like politics. So yeah, what what is that? I know you're coming off of that now, but what has that experience uh, been like? And yeah, any stories from that time? I'm so grateful for my time at St. Louis University and above all for the students. I have a keen sense that the students teach me. They taught me more than I ever taught them. And I don't think they always knew that. <laughs> but part of what I love about being a Jesuit and a political scientist at the same time is I see them as deeply interlinked aspects of my identity because they both are about ultimate human questions and what it means to be a good person, uh, what it means to try to navigate your way through the ambiguities of life whilst engaging uh, with other people the whole time. You know, you don't get to kind of go into a cave and hide for 20 years. Some people do, uh, but that's not, the, <laughs> that's not the Ignatian approach to this. Uh, it really, I was really forced by them to be a contemplative in action in a really fruitful way. Um, and I love teaching undergrads because they're so honest and direct. Um, they have pretty, they have asked questions about God. They ask questions about the human person, about the world that you can't evade. Uh, you can't run away from them. And you can't just say, well, you know, I wrote an article about that a couple of years ago. So, you know, you, you should have just read that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm really, really grateful to them. And, um, you know, I think there are a lot of obvious, there are obviously a lot of tensions in studying politics and in being a Catholic. And so as a Jesuit, I'm aware of those things. Uh, political life can seem to be a realm uh, where there's no hope, where there's no uh, love and charity. And so obviously, as a Jesuit studying political science, I'm challenged to ask, well, no, actually, where is it? How can I show that to other people? And oftentimes, it was the students themselves who reminded me of that, um, because they didn't know that you were supposed to be uh, hopeless and jaded. You know, they didn't get the message uh, often enough that they were required to be disillusioned. <laughs> uh, apathetic and angry somehow at the same time. Uh, they were full, I think, full of promise and full of hope. Um, so the goodness of the students, um, I think it was really good for my teaching, really good for my research, really good for my vocation. Um, what were some of the topics as you're working with them? that they really responded to or had big questions about or were the most like dynamic in terms of your own your own teaching? What were they most curious about? What did what's maybe surprised you in, in working with with undergrads? Well, this is a unfortunately I have a really easy answer to that question. The answer is Pope Francis. I uh, 
one of the best parts about teaching at St. Louis University was they allowed me to teach courses of my own design the first year I was there, uh, which well, I was completely unqualified to do, but that's often how one starts in life. <laughs> you don't learn something by already having mastered it and then doing it. Uh, but I taught a class twice called The Politics of Pope Francis. And it was a wonderful excuse to dive into Pope Francis as a human being. Um, and the students were really fascinated by his, uh, by his texts. They were really fascinated by the, the you know, Laudato Si and Evangelii Evangelii Gaudium, um, but um, but they were also really intrigued by the person, the human being, and they wanted to know how somebody like him. They wanted to know is he really that good, uh, which I think they mostly walked away answering yes, he actually is that good, um, but also wondering wait, how is this person? a Catholic and a priest and a Pope. I mean, we all know those are all bad things. Um, and I think some of the students walked away thinking, gosh, maybe the Catholic Church really is a channel of, of grace. <laughs> and that, to me, was that was more than enough. If that's what I achieved in three years uh, at St. Louis, and that's great. That's all I really wanted. Um, and yet, what they also loved about him was he, he wasn't the kind of Pollyanna who ran away from the problems of the world, the, the students know better than to think that we can just gloss away the real problems in the world. And Pope Francis, as kind and loving and sort of avuncular as he can be, as you know, he's also deeply prophetic and he's very quick to call out um, injustice and evil in the world. And he'll do so in very concrete, striking terms. And the Students responded really well to that because they want to know, how can I find hope? How can I find goodness in a world that actually seems to be quite full of uh, evil and sin and injustice? Pope Francis is a, is a great segue. I, maybe we can kind of use him as a, a way of digging into some of the big questions before us now as a, a country here in the U.S. looking toward an election and big choices we have to make and the future direction of our country. Uh, yeah, he's someone, I think, who challenges a lot of our kind of you know, where we, we might go, a lot of our, our political stereotypes or how we, you know, we think the church should be uh, in, in the world. Uh, there was rec recently you and I worked together with, on a committee with, with people as we drafted this document for the Jesuits, with the Jesuits, uh, released by the Jesuits of Canada and the U.S., called uh, Contemplation and Political Action, an Ignatian Guide to Civic uh, Engagement. And that, that document, which we'll link to in the, the show notes, um, starts with a Pope Francis homily when he talked about how a good Catholic meddles in politics, which I think is a pretty countercultural thing to say. We're, we're often told like, oh, keep faith and politics separate. But he says, no, no, this is a great way to, it's a great form of charity that politics can be a way to, to serve the common good. And as you said, as someone who is like pretty prophetic and just kind of laying that out there. Uh, so kind of using that as some inspiration for like why we get involved as people of faith in politics, but also thinking of him as someone, again, who, who challenges everyone a bit. There's a tweet from a writer you and I both like, Elizabeth Brunig, who talked about Pope Francis not wanting to meet with uh, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo before our presidential election as to not get like to not interfere with that. And she said, yeah, people will get excited about Pope Francis who aren't Catholic. They'll see that and think, wow, that's like a smart, savvy, good thing to do. But then they'll remember or realize that he's Catholic 
and you know has pretty traditional views of marriage and the human person and all kinds of things that like and then he's immediately canceled right that he he maybe has his popularity but then people realize that he might even challenge some of their own um their own notions of you know what it means to be someone working for justice or um so i i just find him like a really interesting character again like if you wanted to like stick him in a like in an american political party you probably have some trouble doing that um so like, you would yeah. So like what what are for you, like when you look at Francis's politics, like what are some of the, the big takeaways, maybe things that we could learn uh, in, in our own system here? Absolutely. So very much the the document we worked on um, on civic engagement, it begins uh, with a wonderful prayer and uh, the prayer ends with Lord, you invite us to find you in all things as we collaborate as a people in the building of our society may we find you there. And it continues to uh, repeat that phrase, may we find you there. And I, I think that's one of the central, there are many ways to summarize it, of course, but for me, that's one of the central takeaways for us from Pope Francis's uh, vision of politics is as he looks out in the world, he finds God there and he trusts that God is there. Um, and that's not something we often enter into politics expecting to, uh, to find uh, God. And in fact, that's the reason we often avoid politics uh, because we don't expect to find God there. Uh, and a, a popular Ignatian vision or image, as you know, is the world as a vineyard. And um, there's a lot to unpack <laughs> in that vision of the vineyard because the world as the vineyard of the Lord it means that when we act and work in the world, we know that there's good work to be done and good fruit to be had because the Lord is there and he guarantees the harvest. And Pope Francis is willing to enter into any and every fray precisely with that kind of hope. Um, and um, when we, yeah, when you look at that phrase, you think about that phrase, a good, a good Catholic medals in politics, it's it's countercultural in so many ways because, as you say, on the one hand, Catholicism and and politics were often said. Well, you don't talk about those things or combine those things in, in polite company. Um, and you might think that a bad Catholic is the one who meddles in politics because, of course, politics is the domain of sin and it's where people compete for power and compete to oppress uh, one another. Uh, but it, it turns out that in Pope Francis's vision. Um, he, he has a lot of faith and hope that the world is, uh, is different from that. It's not the playground of the devil, as Jacques Maritain <laughs> once wrote. I find that a very amusing term because I think a lot of us do think of politics as this world, this sphere where Satan has free reign, and that's not true. Um, but And I, I also think that, that with that different sense of place that the world is a vineyard, uh, Pope Francis also has a different sense of time uh, that's deeply Ignatian, and it's well reflected in the civic engagement document. Um, and it, uh, excuse me, Pope Francis has talked about um, time as greater than space in many ways, um, because there's a, yes, politics is very urgent, and yes, there are a lot of vital, crucial issues that we need to address, uh, but at the same time, the kairos belongs to Christ. And, you know, the eschaton, the end time belongs to God. And so we do the best we can, hoping uh, and trusting that God will take care of the rest, which is everything. 
which is everything. Um, and there's a strain, I, I feel like I talk about this with somebody every day, but there's a deeply apocalyptic strain in our politics today that if we don't respond to this or that issue, immediately all is lost. And implied in that claim is often, and by the way, this is exactly how we need to do it. There's no time to reflect on how to do it. There's no time to build bridges with other allies. There's no time to question who is in charge or should be <laughs> in charge. Um, and there are a lot of really vital issues in our time. Uh, but Pope Francis has this sense that, that Christ is Lord of, over time, over all of creation. Um, and I think we can learn a lot, a lot from that. It can be such a challenge, though, to keep that perspective. And I imagine that's a challenge for him. And again, he calls out stuff he, as he sees it and, you know, really tries to call leaders to task and to say, like, hey, no, let's th things like, you know, corruption or failure to act on uh, climate things or, you know, violence and development of of weapons. Uh, these are all things that are not kind of of the gospel or even for you as you're again, trying to engage into it with that vision, approaching political questions, approaching these topics or your classes uh, with that vision of trying to find God there and seeing the world as a vineyard. But we know like the current state of things, especially political life here in this country, but really around the world is that it's a place of polarization, of demonizing, of just like general ugliness. And that can be like really frustrating. So like, how do you keep engaging? Are you tempted to just disengage? Uh, how do you approach that in which the world as it is, the political world as it is, is clearly not the political world as it could be or should be? Right. Well, I think part of the answer is to see, is to change our perspective on how we see political activity. Um, it's a lot like prayer. Um, if you pray every once in a while and it doesn't go very well, then whatever not going very well means, you will be tempted to give up. Uh, and you might be tempted to say, well, I tried it one time and it didn't work. And I think that's how a lot of Americans are. A lot of people in the United States feel very disconnected from our democracy. They think, well, I vote every four years or every two to four years, and that doesn't really matter. So I, this isn't working out for me. I guess I'll just stop. And I think Analogously to prayer, you know, prayer is about cultivating our relationship with God and recognizing that He is always already there. And so we need to keep showing up. And I, I believe firmly that there's an analogous lesson for our politics, which is that politics is not something we just do every two or four years when we vote. Uh, but if we are going to maintain that relationship with Christ, then we also have to maintain that reflection on how. Uh, the gospel, how we promote it in public life. And um, I know that's very difficult to think about. Uh, most of us are unhappy just having to deal with quadrennial elections. Um, but it is, it is a mode of our being. It's not just something we do episodically. Human beings are political and social. And Pope Francis has been so strong on this point um, about solidarity solidarity with all the people in the world that we would rather ignore. We would rather pretend they don't exist, but they're often just around the corner. And I expect that his new encyclical Fratelli Tutti will have a great deal to say on this point. Um, because of course the pandemic has revealed that on the one hand, we're all uh, in the same mess, but we all have very different resources for how to respond to it. Um, so I think 
I think that part of how we have to engage our polarization and you engage our apathy, uh, because there's just as much disillusioned apathy as there is bitter polarization, is to see politics as something we engage in uh, regularly, all the time, uh, not just something we do every once in a while. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, if, yeah, if we're doing that, if we're engaging all the time, more than just a vote, but we are involved in local politics and going to meetings or at least virtual meetings or writing letters or phone calls or staying, you know, up to date on uh, different issues. I think especially we get, we so obsessed with the national stuff, right? Uh, at least here in the States, whereas often the local politics in our own towns or cities has like disproportionate impact on our actually like how we live our lives and how our neighbors live our lives, their lives. Um, but I am trying to think like, what are some of, and we've gotten, you've gotten at some of this kind of talking about the, the hope that Francis might bring or kind of vision of time, the kind of dignity of the person at the center, solidarity. But just wondering for us, like who are trying, people maybe who are have some connection or rootedness in Ignatian spirituality in our faith, when we're bringing, like what does the world need that we have to offer? Like what are some of those gifts that like, we have, some of those ideas, those visions of what politics can be, that like, hey, the pluralistic conversation that has people of all backgrounds could really benefit from this. Like we have this to offer, not in a way that shows like, oh, we have all the answers and we'll now shove our answers down your throat. But like, hey, no, this is a vision that, that we have from our tradition or traditions um, that could be really helpful. That's a great question. If I could preface it with an answer, a response to something you said, I, I think part of the story here is absolutely that uh, national politics has been far overemphasized. And national politics are important in the United States, but local politics are key. Uh, local, the local is where we live, and the local is where we can engage with other people face-to-face. -face. It's how we can build relationships and cultivate the skills and virtues that we need to participate in politics. You're not developing a lot of skills or virtues or relationships by yelling at your cable news uh, at night, you know, on the TV, even though that is a primary modality of political engagement <laughs> in our time. Um, but I, I like what you said about the question of what can, as members of the Ignatian family, what can we bring to politics that politics needs? Because when you look around, you're tempted to think that the problems uh, most pressing in our political life, they are not going to be solved by elaborate theoretical formulations. It's not as though this is this tremendous intellectual puzzle that we just haven't quite figured out and we're waiting for genius economists or political scientists or uh, public officials to say this. Our problems are primarily moral and spiritual. And so I think that the more aware we are that these problems are moral or spiritual, I think the more empowered we will be to see, no, we have a very important role to play. Um, I think that two of the most obvious gifts that we bring to, to uh, this conversation are self-reflection through the examine and discernment. I mean, those are, again, very easy answers to say. Um, but of course, the problem, so many of the problems we face in our politics are wrapped around uh, power and it's selfish, egotistical use, it's narcissistic use. Um, and 
anytime we insert an element of reflection, anytime we insert an element of self-knowledge into any kind of conversation, we do, I think, make other people stop and wonder if things could be done differently. And you are giving people some sort of possibility for hope. And they'll do the rest themselves <laughs> in most cases. Uh, Pope Francis, of course, has emphasized this um, in a way that John Paul II and Benedict uh, did in their own key, the power of discernment, and asking people to reflect upon the ultimate values that shape their political engagement. Um, and for instance, John Paul II talked a great deal about the culture of life and whether the things we do really engender uh, a culture that is protective of all forms of life, especially the most vulnerable forms, uh, and is leading all people to flourish more fully. And Pope Benedict emphasized a great deal of the truth as the root of culture. Um, and as Pope Benedict and Francis have emphasized, there's a close connection between truth and love. And that's one of the ways you unmask ideology as falsehood. One of the ways you know the ideology is not truth is that it is so deeply unloving, but in fact quite hateful. And I, I think, I mean, this is pretty far away from your question now, but I think uh, that that's the source of an awful lot of ideology in our time is that disconnect between truth um, and love. And that, that's, that's what the Ignatian family can, I think, can lead people to see uh, that crucial nexus. Um, so you talk about these three popes just now who really rooted in the gospel and in these big kind of central values. And from there is where their politics comes, right? Like you can kind of trace that back. Like we can like rooted in scripture, rooted in uh, other insane, the lives of the saints in the sacraments, uh, how the Eucharist, I mean, that's what Benedict wrote that like a Eucharist that doesn't lead us out to like acts of charity and justice is inherently fractured. Uh, just really drawing those connections. Uh, and I see that as a, something I really strive for. How can I let kind of those big values lead to my politics as opposed to the other way around in which I have an ideology that comes from other places, party affiliation or what I'm reading on not Catholic Twitter, uh, that then I try to shape my values and to fit that that way. And we see that happening uh, a lot. I think we see that, that happening now. That we, that we see if you look at like kind of Catholic views in the US on different issues, it's often determined by like what party they belong to as opposed to like kind of starting from their faith. There's not like a consistency across uh, the Catholic community. How do you how do you think we can work to bring more folks to help? It's, it's hard, right? Because you've got to sit in some tension because you want everything to line up so nicely. But we know that teachings of the faith and our political party platforms are not none of them line up exactly. So like, how do we navigate that? How might we work to grow in making sure it's our values that lead to our, uh, our politics as opposed to the other way around? It's a great question because we often present this kind of antinomy or opposition that for some people, their faith motivates their politics and for other people, their politics motivates their faith. And of course, for most of us, it's a very mix. You know, it's a very messy mix in between those two things. And I, I think that as you said, that's a tension we have to live with. I mean, we are so shaped by our culture, uh, for better and for worse. Most, we have a lot of arguments about the kinds of theories and accounts of reality that drive our behavior. 
But most of us are not sitting around saying, well, this is my real fundamental belief, so I guess this is how I will now act. And most of us, you know, culture leads us to act almost instinctually. So the long-term solution, of course, has to be uh, cultivating a culture where a Christ-like response to the world <laughs> and an engagement with the gospel is instinctual. Um, so I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, but of course, there's no, what's tough as a political scientist is I'm forced to say, well, there's just no substitute for spending time with the gospel. There's no substitute for renewing your relationship with Jesus if you're going to be Christ-like in politics. Po politics itself is not going to make you Christ-like. It's not a school of prayer. Uh, but it is very true, however, that we encounter the face of, we encounter the word of God, not only in scripture, but of course, in the faces of people. And so it's, one of the challenges of our politics is how you get people to have a visceral sense of their solidarity with people that they have structured their whole lives such that they never have to encounter them. And uh, that's, of course, the problem uh, with many of our social ills is that we have treated uh, the most marginalized peoples, as, as Pope Francis says, as kind of throwaway uh, people that we can ignore and we can forget about. Um, but I, I think on the other hand, you know, for every person who's deeply, uh, invested in their political party and in their partisan positions and who really struggles to remember, oh yeah, but the Beatitudes, there are also a great number of Americans who are so disaffected and disengaged, uh, that for them, I think I'm not going to counsel the opposite. Oh, put down your gospel and go get into politics. Uh, but I would say that they have hard work to do, you know, committing to political activity, committing to a party, committing to how you're going to vote. That raises really difficult questions that you might not answer or, well, you're not going to answer, but you might not grapple with if you aren't engaged. And uh, I've trotted him out a few times, uh, but I think Charlie Camosi the professor of theological ethics at Fordham University. He's an incredible example of this because his pro-life advocacy has led him to spend years engaging with partisan politics in a really robust way. And uh, he has tried hard to bring a pro-life message into a lot of corners where it's not been welcomed. And I think a lot of us, I think very few of us can say that we've done that kind of work. And it's, it's not just that I'm looking for some kind of outcome when somebody does that. Uh, but it has shaped who he is. It makes him a more Christ-like, um, more Christian human being who's more rooted in the gospel because of that effort. Uh, so on the one hand, I think there are a lot of very politically engaged Christians who need to find a way to take a step back and ask, hmm, what would the gospel call me to do where I'd heed that? But I, I think there are a lot of us as well who are not politically engaged who I think would be very challenged by trying to engage politics. And I think in a very fruitful way. Yeah, I think of the quote that's sometimes attributed to Karl Barth. I don't know if he actually said it, but that like, you know, kind of that we can pray with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Uh, and I think it's also an Ignatian thing is to, again, as you were saying earlier, not to like turn away or to completely disengage from the culture, but to engage it, to bring the gospel there, to bring 
that perspective and to not be afraid to mix it up with anyone. Uh, so for, I guess maybe I'm wondering, like, so for folks who are maybe kind of want to dip into some of this stuff or to kind of deepen their commitment to politics as a vehicle for advancing the common good, but like don't want to necessarily lose their faith in the process. I think again about the Ignatian tradition of discernment, where you kind of sit and pray and reflect and talk with others about like kind of big questions. And so sometimes I found like, if we could build a good list of questions to to give to people to say like, hey, when you're sitting and discerning like how you're going to get involved, who I might vote for, what policy I might try to promote, these could be some good questions to pray with, to think with. Do you have like any off the top of your head that you might suggest like a good question or a couple questions for like our own uh, discernment around politics? Uh, well, the quick answer, I keep saying this, but the quick answer is unfortunately often the hardest. Um, I, I think the biggest question in any discernment is what is God calling me to do? And I say that because we are all in a very particular concrete context. And so there might be somebody listening to this podcast, one of the millions of people listening to this podcast. Millions. Millions. Uh, billions <laughs> and billions, as Carl Sagan would say. Uh, you know, in a small town in Iowa, and uh, I don't know a whole lot about, I about Iowa, but, you know, there might be some kind of conflict between people who grow corn and people who grow cows or they don't grow, raise pigs, you know, raise pigs or something in Iowa. Sure. Um, and that person might say, you know, I want to reckon, I want to make an effort to reconcile <laughs> the corn growers and the pig uh, farmers. And guess what? I'm going to do that from city council. And that, you know, I just made that up. And but that's the, actually the kind of way that an awful lot of politics happens is you have gifts. And I, uh, my doctorate in political science does not teach me what gifts people have. You know, you know what gifts God gave you. And you know the situation in which God has placed you. Um, because there are a lot of really good abstract questions that you should ask. Um, ask questions like, well, which party do I think is closer to the gospel? Or uh, what policy do I think is most important in the world today? Um, you know, there are a lot of wonderful questions you could ask. Um, but you know, there's that great line about grow where you're planted. And uh, I, uh, my understanding is that it's some kind of paraphrase of Francis de Sales, where he said something like, uh, bloom where God planted you and trust that he put you in the garden. Or I think that's shading off in into Teresa of Avila. But, you know, trust that God, <laughs> where God planted you, the rain will fall. Um, and I, I think that's a really... A uh, great place to start. What is God calling me to do? What is God calling me, uh, the particular person that I am in the particular place where I find myself? Because as you said earlier, it's very easy to get lost in the futility of nationwide politics. You know, we live in a mass society where we feel so powerless and so out of control. And so often starting at that local level, I think, is most helpful. Uh, to feel concretely grounded in a place. And Pope Francis is constantly emphasizing the importance of our locality and the importance of culture and the importance of tradition and community. And we've obviously, that's no newsflash that we've lost touch, you know, especially in the United States, we have lost touch uh, with a lot of the robust roots of local culture. Um, you're being from New Jersey, I think you have a particular feel for that. 
<laughs> that's a whole nother episode we can do. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, Bill, I really appreciated uh, all of your your thoughts and reflections and and challenges and a lot of really good food for thought here, both, I think, in this election season, but also it's something I think we can keep coming back to, uh, again, as we talked about, um, hopefully, our involvement in in the public life, as is our faith, is not something that's just reserved for like a particular day or a particular season, but it's something that we you know commit to in our lives. Uh, so, and I thank you for your, your witness and your vocation, saying yes to God's call to you. And so grateful to have you uh, in the society. Well, thank you. It was a great pleasure to be with you. And thank you for all that you do for the society and the church. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Dara Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. (laughs) 